So I am in part two of this uh, series for Christmas, The Light of the World. We all know who that is. It's Jesus, and, uh, and I do have a little bit of an agenda, so I want to uh, talk about that. But let me ask this question. Have you ever, like you committed your life to Christ, and then you had a time in your life where you kind of wandered away? Right? You kind of drifted away. That happens to a lot of people, and, and over the years there are many people who have done that. And most people that you're here, maybe watching online, we fall into one of four categories. One of those categories is that maybe you've given your life to Christ and you never walked away. You never drifted. You never went away from your faith and you were there. And if that is you, I just want to say, good job. (laughs) You know, God's going to say, well done. Some people here have, uh, maybe you wandered away, but at some point in your life, you came back to the Lord, and you've been serving Him ever since then, and uh, aren't you glad that God accepts that? Aren't you glad all God does? Uh, There's some people that maybe you once gave your life to Jesus, and and you're either here, maybe watching online, and you're still not back. You're kind of like, you know what, I'm not sure, kind of like the prodigal son still away. So that might describe some, and then there's some that have never given their life to the Lord. You're just kind of interested. Let me see. I don't know what this stuff is all about. So all of those categories exist, but I want to say this. If you have drifted away, how many of you know it happens for a variety of reasons? There's no one reason. Uh, Bad church experience. Nobody's ever had one of those, right? All right. No, that doesn't happen. Maybe you've had one. Maybe you've had 10 of them. Uh, but the problem, the reason those things happen is because there are people in the church. All right. And how many of you know, none of us are perfect. At some point in time, somebody's going to rub you wrong. Somebody's going to say something that maybe you don't like. It's going to spark something. And uh, so some people, you know, I'm not going there anymore. Uh, Other people, maybe you move to a new location and you just never connected to a new church. Right? That happens because how many of you know when you really like your church and you move somewhere else, it's hard to find one that really fits. And it's like that happens. Uh, young people sometimes go off to college and they get out of the habit. Nobody's there. Mom and dad aren't making me get up, so I don't know if I'm going to go. Sometimes there's a job that interferes with you going to church. For some people, it could be a tragedy. You know, you went through a divorce. You lost somebody. And some people get bitter at God because how could you allow this to happen, God? How did you let that happen? And so all of those things, everybody's got a story. Am I right? Sometimes the things that happen in our life, we process them really well. And how many of you know, sometimes we don't, right? And when we don't, usually God gets the blame for that. So I want to urge you, and wherever you're at in your walk with your life, if you feel like you've drifted away a little bit, because how many of you know, sometimes you can be here, but you're not really here. I'm here. I'm doing my church thing, right? So I want to encourage you to re-engage in your relationship with God. Whatever that is, whatever level you're at, take a step further. And I don't know what that looks like for you, because here's the truth in the matter. God never leaves us. Didn't he promise that? But sometimes we leave God. All right, sometimes we walk away. Much like the prodigal son who said, I'm, you know, I'm going to go off and I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, but I love what he says out of uh, verse 17 and 18. It says that when he came to his senses, and I love that, I love that translation of that word because it means that he started coming back into his right thinking, right? We've probably all had times where we kind of lost our mind, right? We did something, man, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking. Anybody ever say that? You did something, you said, I don't even know what I was thinking, 
right? That means you're out of your mind. I, you probably weren't thinking. The prodigal son left the father a good home, everything that he could possibly want, and he says, I'm going to go away. But he says, I, when it came to his senses, he started thinking, how many of my father's hired men have good food to spare? Here I am starving to death. And so he says this, I will set out and go back to my father, right? He had to make a step, didn't he? The father was there. The father was waiting, but he had to make that step. Uh, just like it says in James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Now, I want you to understand, this is not God having to take the first step. He already took the first step when he sent his son Jesus to come and to die that horrible death, raised from the dead. And, and the scripture says that the Holy Spirit is drawing us to him. So God already made the first step. Guess what? It's now it's our turn to make that step. We have to come back. And here's the thing. Christmas is a great time to do that. But what I know about people that have drifted away is that they still hear that little voice. There's a little light on the inside saying things like this. I really ought to get back to church. I really need to get my relationship with God going again. I really need to stop doing this and start doing the right thing. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but we, we understand that. You realize that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. A lot of times we don't realize that little voice on the inside. It's not just your conscience because your conscience usually is just looking out for you. Just do what you want to do. And, and I remember like, what is that voice? How do you hear that? How do you know that that's God? Uh, but when God was going to reveal himself to Elijah out of 1 Kings, he says, go out to the mountain and I'm going to pass by. And, and the scripture says that a powerful wind came by. And we're like, sometimes we think God has to show up in these dramatic ways. But he, the, the word says he wasn't in the wind. And then there was an earthquake. God wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't, that fire came by and he still wasn't. But in uh, verse 12, it says, after the fire came a gentle whisper. See, that's the voice of God is not the huge dramatic. Sometimes we're like, man, I just wish I was like the Apostle Paul. A light would come from heaven, knock me down, and he would speak to me. Most of the time, that's not how it works. Usually, it's that still small voice on the inside whispering to you on the inside. Sometimes it's that voice within a voice. Right, Like maybe you're listening to somebody speak, whether it's me, whether it's someone else. Could be somebody you're just having a conversation with and they're just talking, but all of a sudden their word penetrates something on the inside of you and you're like, oh wow, that was God. Right? Maybe you didn't recognize it was God, but maybe you're like, how did you know what was going on? It wasn't me, it wasn't somebody else. That's the Holy Spirit. Like, think about how do you hear the voice of God? You remember the story about the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus. After Jesus rose from the dead and he's talking, he's walking along with them down the road. They don't recognize him. Somehow they don't recognize that that's Jesus. Uh, but they're talking and they invited him to come. And all of a sudden Jesus revealed himself to them. Uh, and then he was gone and they're like, weren't our hearts burning when he was speaking to us? Can I tell you, you may not recognize God, but the voice of the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you and you feel that on the inside. You're like, there's something going on here that is more than just a bunch of words. And that gentle voice, that gentle whisper is always speaking to us. I believe the Holy Spirit is always speaking. We're just not always listening, right? We're not always listening. And uh, it, when, you're, when you've been hearing these things, man, I really ought to get back in my relationship with God. 
I really need to get, I really need to do that. Can I tell you, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And we've got an option. We can, uh, we can uh, say yes or we can say, I'm not going to right now. And that's what we're going to talk about today to help us in that process to kind of understand that. I want to talk about one of the characters out of the uh, Christmas story and, and one that maybe you don't think you identify with, but I want to uh, show us how most of us probably do identify with it. So if I were to ask you, who do you identify with most in the Christmas story? Uh, most of us would not say Mary. I mean, certainly I'm not a woman and I've never given birth and never will. So that's not me. But even if you have, how many of you know, it wasn't supernatural. So Mary, not really. Joseph, we don't know a whole lot about him. We know he worked with wood, so probably Norm can identify a little bit. He understood that. But uh, the shepherds, I did actually have a couple of sheep when I was in high school. Believe it or not, I was a future farmer of America didn't realize I wasn't going to be dealing with real sheep, but God's flock, amen? So God understood that. Wise men, uh, I don't know if I want to say I want to identify with that. Certainly not baby Jesus. So who is left out of the story? And, and it's probably somebody you wouldn't think about, but he's one that we would consider the villain of the story, and that is King Herod. And, and I'll tell you why I believe that there is a little bit of Herod in each and every one of us. And you're like, hmm? If you'll follow me on this story, I'm going to give you, I think you'll understand. So I'm going to give you a little bit of history that is not in the Bible, that is in the history books about King Herod. First of all, King Herod, he was considered, they called it a client king over Judea at the time of Jesus' birth. A client king was subject to the Roman Empire, but they would establish, okay, you're going to be king over this area. So he was the king over Judah, but he was still submitted to uh, Rome at that time. And he, if you find out about Herod, you begin to read other stuff about him. He was very smart, very talented, very politically astute, very ambitious, very ambitious. He was known as a builder because he, would re, he helped rebuild uh, uh, the Jewish temple. He built fortified cities. He built aqueducts. He built port cities. So he was very extraordinary when it came to his talent. I mean, he knew how to get things done, but it's his ambition that really got the best of him in the end. And that's why I'm going to talk about how there's a little bit of Herod in each and every one of us. So, like I said, before we get into the scripture, let me give you a little bit more history about Herod. Hopefully it will bring some perspective as we start telling this story. So let me start out 44 years before Jesus came to this earth. How many of you remember reading about Julius Caesar? Come on, we all know about Julius Caesar. Shakespeare wrote the play about him. The Senate assassinated Julius Caesar. And that's where, you know, you too, I'm doing it in English. So you too, Brutus, you're killing me as well. So all of uh, Julius Caesar and all of that assassination, all of that happened in 44 BC. Way before Jesus got here, when he was murdered, let me put a couple other names up there. There was uh, Mark Antony and Octavius. Octavius was his nephew. So that, or not his, uh, Octavius was Julius Caesar's nephew. So what happened is whenever, and he eventually, Octavius eventually became known as Caesar Augustus. Giving you that history way back then. When Julius Caesar was assassinated, both Mark Antony and Octavius were like, we're going to avenge his death. And so they teamed up together and, and they said, listen, we're going to kill everybody that was in that plot to kill uh, Julius Caesar. So they, they did that. As time went by, all of the enemies were destroyed. But everybody knew that eventually 
these two are going to come to a head. Because how many of you know there can only be one ruler? Right? You're not going to have two. So they're buddies at first, but eventually they become enemies because one was going to rise to the top. What happened is over time, both of them, he was getting people that were for him. Octavius was getting people that were on his side. And this is really where Herod comes into the picture. He befriended Mark Antony, and Mark Antony actually had a popular wife that many of you know, who, who knows what his wife was? Cleopatra, Cleopatra right, from Egypt. So he's married to uh, uh, Cleopatra from Egypt. Herod is backing uh, Mark Antony in this whole situation, and most of the Romans didn't really care for Cleopatra because they thought, well, if, if Mark Antony becomes Caesar then that means we're going to have Egypt involved in our affairs. They weren't a big fan of that. But King Herod continued to support Mark Antony and Cleopatra, sending gifts, supporting them. And over time, eventually, the civil war broke out. It was very short uh, because Octavius had more people for him. He defeated Mark Antony real, really quick. And uh, unfortunately for Herod, guess what? He backed the wrong horse. I got behind the wrong person. Anybody ever feel like that? Why? Why did I do that? That's like all of you guys that vote against the Cowboys. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I had to throw that in there. Here's the thing. A short period of time after he defeated Octavius, became Caesar Augustus, defeated Mark Anthony, and uh, now Herod is thinking, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. I got behind, and so he kind of probably went through the option in his head because if you're an enemy of Rome, how many of you know you usually die? So uh, he's thinking, do I kill myself? Do I run, you know, or, or do I just hope that they'll ignore me and let this pass by? Uh, but Herod, again, I want to go back because I want you to understand this man. He was so politically motivated and so ambitious, so concerned about his legacy that he took a step and did something super risky that really turned out for his benefit. And, and what he did, so Caesar Augustus is now on the island of Rhodes, uh, and, and he was there. Uh, King Herod took a boat, went to the island, and requested to speak with the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus. And you can imagine the people on the island, wait a minute, you're King Herod, right? Aren't you the one that was supporting the enemy? Aren't you the one that, you know, we were going to come kill you, but thanks for coming, right? Thanks for coming and saving us a trip, right? So anyway, he asked for this appointment, and uh, Caesar Augustus like, what, King Herod's here? Well, bring him on in. I'm going to hear what he has to say. And Herod gives an amazing speech, like I said, that works out for his benefit. Let me just read it to you. He says, as you know, I was a friend to your enemy, Mark Antony. And as you know, I was a loyal supporter of his from the beginning through the Civil War and to the end. And so he tells him, so this is what you know about me, is when I pledge my loyalty to somebody, I am loyal to the end. And so he tells him, oh, great Caesar, today I pledge my loyalty to you. And Caesar Augustus was so amazed by that speech not only did he let him stay king over Judea, he gave him Samaria, he gave him Jericho and Gaza as well, and he sent him home. So that was a smart play by Herod, wasn't it? Good job. You could have died. So smart guy, politically astute, extremely ambitious. And like I said, his ambition is what got him into trouble because he was so committed to, to controlling the situations in his life 
so committed to his own legacy that it made him make bad decision after bad decision. After bad decision, right? Uh, he had ten wives, which of all, first of all, that's how I many that's a bad decision. Right? You should only have one, right? He had a whole bunch of sons, and this is what he would do. Every few years, he would say, you know what? This is my son. He's going to carry on my legacy. And he would proclaim, you know what? When I die, this son is going to become the next uh, king over this area. Well, stuff would happen. I don't know what happened. We don't know all of that. But he would change his mind, execute that son, and say, no, now this son is going to be the one. This is the one. And this happened several times. And I don't know, but I can imagine if I was one of his sons and he started to say me, I'd be like, no, don't, Dad. I'm good. I don't need to be king. I don't need that. Give that to my other brother over there. So uh, I don't know. We don't know what happened. Uh, but that was him. He was so committed to controlling his kingdom and his legacy, he wanted somebody related to him sitting on his throne forever. Like, I want to put somebody there. I mean, some of the things they say about him, that, that if he didn't like what was going on, that there were rabbis they would murder. He killed many of them to where rabbis didn't even want to come into the city of Jerusalem. Like, I don't want to go there. Because here's the thing. When King Herod got mad, he would do whatever he wanted to maintain control of his kingdom and, and control his legacy. He was very controlling about that. And when we get to the biblical narrative about the birth of Jesus, King Herod at this time is now about 70 years old. And not only that, he has a horrible kidney disease. He's very sick and he realizes his time is coming close. So he's trying to consolidate his power so that he can prepare for the next generation. He wants to control all of that. All right. That's just how he is. And then he gets the most disturbing news imaginable. Five miles south of him, he hears that there's a new king. And he's just learning how to walk now. Like, like what is going on here? And this is basically, as we get into Matthew, we're going to read his version of what's going on here. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Now you got some background on Herod, right? It says, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, what did they ask? They said, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Can you imagine? First of all, think about this. We know how controlling and harsh and mean Herod is. And now these guys, we don't know how many there are. I know we always have three wise men, right? Uh, there could have been two. There could have been 20. We don't have any idea. The Bible doesn't say. But they're in there walking around Jerusalem saying, hey, where's the one born king of the Jews? Can you imagine the other people are like, shh. Don't say that out loud. King Herod might hear about that. You don't, want, you don't want to get him upset. But they're going around and asking. We saw a star in the east, and we've come to worship him. So I don't know how, many, how long they were in Jerusalem saying that. Eventually, Herod heard that, and it says when it, King Herod heard it, he was disturbed. <laughs> right? I love that. That just sounds, I'm really disturbed, right? No, his disturb was something deeper than that. Because and, and, and notice what it says, and all Jerusalem with them. Now, you got to think about it. The Israelites, they were ready for a Savior to come. They were ready for the Messiah to come. Why would they be disturbed? They weren't disturbed about that news. They were disturbed because King Herod was disturbed. Right? And when King Herod got deserve, uh, disturbed, how many of you thought things got dangerous? Right? 
Like when he was disturbed, anything could have happened. They didn't have any idea. And, and especially now that he's an older man, he's in pain. He's probably even more grumpy than he's ever been before. And it's like, oh, no. And suddenly, King Herod's future, his legacy, his control, all of that is at risk. All of that is at risk. So verse 4, when he had called together, he's like, he's hearing about this, this Messiah, this new king. He's, he's the, he knows about the prophecies about the Messiah. So he's wanting to get a little bit more information. He called together the people's chief priests, teachers of the law, and asked him, uh, where's the Messiah going to be born? And, uh, and they tell him, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophets had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of uh, Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of the people of Israel. So again, think about Herod. Worst news imaginable. I can't believe that I'm hearing that. And so he's hearing, okay, this is going to happen in Bethlehem. So what does he do? He calls the Magi or the wise men secretly. Like, come here. I got to have a meeting with you to find out what was the exact time the star appeared. Why did he ever ask that? It's because he needed a timeline. He's thinking ahead. He's a very smart man. And, and he's thinking ahead. Listen, I want to know about how old this child is that, that is supposedly born king. And then this kind of struck me this morning as I was kind of going over this. It says he, talking about King Herod, sent them to Bethlehem. So he's basically saying, hey, listen, the, the child you're looking for that you're asking around is in Bethlehem. King Herod sends him to Bethlehem and, uh, and he says, go make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. How many of you think he was lying? Right? He had no desire to worship. And so, you know, these wise men, they don't have any idea. So they, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. I mean, can you imagine? Or when they, yeah. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. I mean, think about that picture. I know we've seen the, the, you know, the, the wise men bowing down. But how many of you know worship is not just what happens at the beginning of a service? Amen. All right? Worship is not just like, I, I mean, worship happens in that time. But worship is, uh, is really recognizing that you're in the presence of somebody that causes you to have awe. Right? To where, where, where doing what you do, whatever mentally or physically, to surrender yourself and submit yourself. That's what worship is. And, and they're bowing down. Think about it to a little, maybe one year old, one and a half year old. We don't know. We know he was under two at the time that happened. And he doesn't have any strength of his own. He doesn't look powerful. I mean, we got our grandson Levi is two. He doesn't look very tough, even if he acts it, right? It's like, I, I can take him. He's only two, right? And, uh, uh, but they're bowing down to him, not because of what power he looks like he has, but because who they believed him to be, right? And so they're worshiping him, and just five miles away, think about this. Herod sent them, go find a search for the child. He's worried to death. Where are they at? Where are those guys? That's only five miles away. Hey, listen, report to me as soon as you see those guys come back. I want to know where this child is because his whole life was all about preserving, protecting, and controlling things. 
right? Every situation that came along, preserve, protect, control. And so now here he is, 70 years old, wrecked with pain. He's not about to bow his knee to anybody, right? Not to anybody, anyone, anything. But, and that's why I say that there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. Because how many of you know, for many people, they don't mind leveraging God as long as God helps them build their kingdom. Oh, I'll serve God as long as you serve me, God, as long as you do what I want. But the whole idea of a complete surrender to God, a complete surrender to him where I give him my rights. How many of you know that does not come natural? Not to any of us, right? Not to any of us. I found out a long time ago. How many of you guys remember the song and occasionally we sing it, I surrender all? Right, I surrender all. I, I remember as a teenager singing that, and I'm worshiping the Lord, all to thee, my precious Savior, I surrender. And then I heard that still small voice, that gentle whisper on the inside of me. I still remember it today, saying, really, all? Right, And I couldn't sing that song anymore because I'm like, uh, God started reminding me that you think you've surrendered it all, but you've only partially surrendered. Right? You've only get, and, and one thing that I have learned over the years is that surrendering all is a daily basis. Right? It's not like, hey, I gave my life to the Lord back in 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? No, it's not, it's not a one, there's no such thing as a one-time surrender. Because how many of you know tomorrow something may happen, somebody may do something mean to you or rude to you, and guess what? You're going to have to surrender your mouth. Right? Well, well, wait a minute. What? I can't just tell you know what? I can't just do that. I can't just do that. No, it is a daily, sometimes minute by minute surrender that we have to do. And that's why I say that there is a little bit of Herod in of us because it's hard sometimes to give up control. Am I right? It's hard to surrender all to him because there's so much that we're like, okay, God, how about if I give you 90% and I just hang on to 10% of the things I want to control? What if I just do that? And so it's very difficult. That's why some of Herod is in it, because he didn't want to give up any control. And you may be saying, well, I give up most control, but it's like, it is that process of like, God, help me to really understand what it means to surrender. I don't want the Herod in my life to have control. So it is a process. Anyway, let's move on with the story. Uh, verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, now the, the wise men all of a sudden are like, whoa, wait, what? Uh, don't go back there. They returned to their country by another route. And, uh, and when they had gone, an angel of the Lord now appeared to uh, Joseph in a dream and said, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. And it says, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and they fled to Egypt. So how many of you see Herod really is this negative force uh, driving a lot of things at the first, you know, when Jesus was first born? He's making them have to flee to Egypt. He's, uh, he's doing all this stuff. And then what happens? They fled to Egypt. Verse 16, we jump a couple verses. It says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, guess what? He was furious. No longer just disturbed, right? Now I'm a little disturbed. Now he's furious. And again, people knew that when Herod was furious, people suffered. Somebody's going to die, 
He had no problem killing his own kids. You think he's going to have a problem killing other people's kids? Right? No, not at all. So now he's furious. Think about Herod. Knowing his background, he's always controlling situations. He's always controlling outcomes. He always figured out a way somehow to control, even when he bet on the wrong person during that civil war, he still figured out how to get favor in the midst of that. He was this master of controlling outcomes. And once again, he thought, oh, I'm going to send the Magi. I'm going to find out who this child is. And, and now he realized, listen, I've now been outsmarted by a little child and a couple of Jewish parents. He was upset. But guess what? He still had plan B. My first plan was, hey, give up the child. I'll take care of him. Well, uh, he got outsmarted. And then look what it says. And then he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity. So not just Bethlehem, anywhere around there. We don't know what kind of radius he was talking about there, but any of them that were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Think about his foresight, thinking whenever he talked to the Magi, hey, listen, how, how old is this child? How? He's trying to gather as much information because in his mind, all of the plans are working out because he's going to control it. He thinks he's going to take care of, of all of that. And then uh, and he killed all of the boys. Like I said, I'm thinking about that. I mean, again, I keep referencing my, my uh, grandson Levi because he's two. Can you think about what that was like? Because we read stories sometimes. We don't really re imagine the horror of that. Imagine the parents as their two-year-old sons are being drug out and killed in front of them. Imagine, uh, imagine, think about this one. Imagine Mary having to live with the knowledge that they were able to escape, but all of the little boys that her son played with were killed. Uh, all of that was going on. He gave that. And, and he, I, he, what, he's like, I'm going to take care of all of this. So uh, this took place, and here's what happened after they fled. It says, uh, after Herod died, and he did die, he died a painful death. You know, according to history, that kidney disease really... Here's the thing. Herod was so evil, he knew that nobody was going to mourn his death. When he was dead... How many of you remember Wizard of Oz when the witch died? What was it? Ding dong, the witch is gone. So he had this idea. Hey, man, they're going to ding dong me, right? King Herod is dead. So, so what he did, he wanted people to mourn him. So he uh, sent out an order, gathered all the uh, wealthy, distinguished people put them in prison, and he gave orders to his people, the day that I die, I want you to kill all of these people because I want there to be mourning in Jerusalem on the day that I die, even if it wasn't for him. So he ended up dying, and, but guess what? All of it, they let all the people go. They're like, hey, he's gone. We're not killing all these people. So uh, they escaped that, but when he died, uh, the text continues that uh, the angel of the Lord now appears again to Joseph in a dream, and he says, get up again, take the child's mother and go back to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So this is just a little snapshot of history that you're not going to read out of the Bible, not all of this stuff about Herod. We don't understand that because he was known as the King Herod the Great, right? You read some of the history books because he, he had done all of these amazing things. He had... Uh, 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 accomplished a lot of stuff that a lot of people didn't do, uh, but he didn't realize that he was just simply going to become a footnote in the story of Jesus. 
All of the things that he did. And I started thinking about this. Can you imagine if you were able to talk to Herod, like go back in time, just a couple of hours before he was about to die, say, hey, Herod, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news for you. All right? Here's the good news. 2,000 plus years from now, people all over the world are going to be talking about you. Everywhere you go, they're going to talk in languages you've never heard of, in places that have not even been discovered yet. They're going to be reading about you in books, the Bible, right? They're going to read about you. They're going to hear about you. Uh, but here's the bad news. You're simply going to be a sidebar, just a footnote in the story of this child that you tried to kill. The one that would become king, the one that would become savior of the world. Listen, Herod, people are not going to talk about the things you built. They're not going to talk about your seaport. They're not going to talk about your aqueducts. You're not going to be known as Herod the Builder. You know, look, he even lost his nose in that thing, right? That's so old. But uh, you're going to be known as Herod the Butcher. That's your legacy. That's what you're going to be known as. And guess what, Herod? You're only, you were only five miles away from the birth of the Son of God. You missed it, Herod. You missed it big time. Your opportunity has gone on by. And so uh, I, none of that obviously happened to him. But he, if he had any idea, the decision, bad decision after bad decision, simply because he was trying to control everything. And then as time passed by, roughly 80 to 90 years later, we don't have the exact time. Obviously, we know Jesus did grow up, did all kinds of miracles, crucified, uh, went, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. Amen. And, and yeah, we can read. Yes, we can worship the Lord. And, and the church was established, right? The disciples, the apostle Paul, they went all over the known world, started churches. Eventually, Caesar Augustus, he's gone, right? Nero, he's gone. Who did The temple that was there and in Jerusalem basically scraped off the mountain. It was gone. Uh, 80 years later, and I caught, talked about some of this last week. If you happen to miss it, uh, I'm just going to touch on it. But John says, hey, listen, everything that, that I knew is gone. John grew up. He, he was given the commission to take care of Mary, and he watched Mary. He knew all of the narratives, everything that was going on. He had all that, but now John's an old man, and uh, everything that he said, and I'm going to go back to this verse that I talked about last week. It says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Notice the past tense words here. He was and he was. He's saying, listen, when Jesus was here, he was that life. He was that light of all mankind, not just a Jewish light. Uh, and John's realizing that, you know what, that's who Jesus was. But now he goes into present tense, and that light that Jesus was is now shining in the darkness right it's still shining he's saying listen i've seen all the bad things all the horrible things and, and he's on this island he it looks like rome won right uh, he's exiled all the other disciples it looks like rome has won everything sometimes you may look around in our world today and think man the, the world is winning right look at the news the government this that all these other things it's winning but guess what god still has the last word how many of you know the light is still shining no matter what? And he says, this light shines in the darkness, but darkness cannot overcome it. Amen. And I think we need to be encouraged by that because this kind of brings me to the point of this message. It brings me to you. What will your story be? 
What will you, you know, in relationship to the light of the world, will your story be a story of resistance like Herod was? Like, oh, you know, I'm still going to control everything. Or is it going to be a story of worship like the wise men? God, I'm just, I, I know this is a toddler king here, but they bowed down and they surrendered. Will it be like King Herod where you're just trying to build your life? I'm trying to build my legacy. I'm trying to control my kingdom instead of accepting an invitation to be a part of the kingdom of God. What is my story going to be? Will you, will you, you know, a lot of times we cling tightly to the things that all this world has. I'm hanging on to it. This is my life, my house, my car, my, my whatever. When the reality is, how many of you know there's going to come a day we've got to give it all up anyway? Yeah. We can't hang on to anything. Or will it be the story of a man or a woman that says, I'm going to surrender everything that comes in my life because I realize it's not mine anyway. None of this stuff is mine anyway. I only have it temporarily. Will your life be a story of my way or God's way? What's, what's it going to be told? And relate, Here's the thing. The reason we live with this tension and struggle is because you and I are human beings and we've got a little bit of Herod in us. All right? We want to control. We want, we, you know, I, well, I'm not killing babies or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about have I really released control to God? Have I really surrendered all to him? And it's like, the reason you struggle with that is because, hey, you know, that, that human King Herod part of me doesn't really want to do that. But can I say this? One day, somebody's going to tell your story in light of the gospel, in light of what Jesus has done. Somebody's going to get up and tell about that. And guess what? They're either going to have to make something up about you, right, also known as lying, Oh, he was this wonderful person, you know. Oh, they, was, they did all that. You know, it's like, uh, like, wait a minute, are you talking about the same person? Right, anybody ever been to one of those services? <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to tell a joke here if you can give me a break right here. Uh, there's this woman, her husband was mean, ugly, you know, just, just cantankerous. And uh, the pastor got up at this service and she was say, he was saying all these wonderful things about him. Like, he was amazing, he did all that. And uh, she elbowed her son and said, hey, go up there and look in that casket. See if that's your dad who's in there. <laughs> right? Is someone going to have to lie about it? You know, here's the thing. Or are they going to be able to tell the stro- true story that at some point in your life... And listen, even if you drifted, even if you hit a place in your life where you lost hope, or, 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 or life... How many of you know sometimes life just stomps us out? Right? Maybe stomped all the faith. But at some point in your, your life, you recognize... You came to your senses like the prodigal son. You said, I'm returning back to my father. Whether it was the first time or returning again, someday someone will tell your story in relationship to the light of the world. Right? I want it to be the true story. Right? And the question I have for you, what story are people going to tell about you? What are they going to say about you? And uh, and I don't want to make this an emotional thing, but I mean, this past week, obviously, with Bill going home to be with the Lord, I've been hearing some incredible stories. And I believe every single one of them. Nobody's having to lie about that. And, and, and I want to say, you know what? I want people to tell the real, real story. I want people to say, man, he loved God. He loved other people. He did whatever it is. And so the good news is that no matter what tragedy and difficulties hit your life, how many of you know the darkness has never overcome the light that's in you? I believe that in the mess the hurt, the pain, the disappointment in your life, you still sense that light that's right there, right? And the Holy Spirit is still trying to say, you need to. 
You ought to. You need to get your life back right with God. You need to make that step. And, uh, and, and you know, worship team, you guys can come up. I wanted to show a picture. And uh, Kim and Dennis aren't here, but a few weeks ago they went to Hawaii. Like, I don't know how many times they've been to Hawaii, but they've been there a few times. And they, she took this picture, posted it on Facebook, and I asked if I could use that. And, uh, and it was just, this was before I had even started this series. They didn't know. Uh, but this is on the island of Kauai. It's a two-mile uh, long, uh, basically, roadway. And I guess it cuts through the mountain in order to help sugarcane. Uh, it, it saves a lot of time. Anyway, Dennis was telling me about it this week. He says, you know, when you're in the middle of that cave, even though there's an entrance on both ends, he goes, you cannot even see your hand in front of your face. He said, it is so dark right there that, that, that you know, you, gotta, you have to turn some kind of a light on in order to make it through. Even though, oh, there it is over there. There's a light on each side of the tunnel. That's okay to put it over there. Everybody can see it. And, uh, and I want to read what Kim had posted because she, she's the one that took this picture. She goes, uh, uh, this photo is untouched. It was pitch black except for the opening two miles away. And she, had, she goes, I had to light my steps with my phone. There was a no adjusting your eyes. Your eyes didn't adjust. And on a whim, she says that everybody turned their back to go the other way. She says with no flash, no special lens, just a phone, the cave was still dark as could be. She goes, I watched and stood still as this came to life. She goes, in the dark, I was surrounded by light that I could not see. I just, I love, I was surrounded by light I could not see. And she says, God told me once 20 years ago as I battled cancer that his promises are true even in the dark. Even in the dark. And she says, today he reminded me that there is always light in the darkness before the end of the tunnel, even when we cannot see it. And so my challenge to you, I just thought that was such a great photo and great understanding that that God is always there with you we just don't always feel it right we don't always see it and, and it's like if we'll tune our voice to him and say okay God I know you're here and as I was praying over this message today uh, I'd ask Pastor Timothy and the worship team there's a song we, we sing occasionally here another in the fire and it's really a story about referencing Shadrach Meshach and Abednego when they went into the fiery furnace and if you remember the story, they're like, you know, oh, you know what? Our God can protect us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. And then when they got thrown into the fire, the king was like, hey, wait a minute. Didn't we only throw three in there? What's that, what's that fourth person walking around? It's Jesus, exactly. Who is that walking? And, and I think this is what God is trying to say to us today as we're in this Christmas season is that Jesus is always with us. Whether you see it or not, whether you feel like you're in pitch black or not, he is there with you and he's going to walk with you through the fire, right? You are going to get to the other side of whatever it is that you're going through. But guess what? We need to surrender it to him. There may be areas in your life that you need to surrender. And listen, I don't know what they are. I'm not God, but you know what they are. So my challenge as we sing this song today, let it build your faith, but at the same time, say, God, is there some area in my life that I need to surrender to you? Because I almost guarantee that there is. There's still areas I need to surrender. Right? I'm not up here saying, oh, man, I've accomplished all that. Just be like me, right? No, it is a lifelong process. And so ask God, God, what areas do I need to surrender? 
What what do I need to go? And, And know that in that process, as you're working your salvation out daily, how many of you know God is still with you? Amen? Don't think that he's abandoned you. Don't think that, man, it's so dark, I can't see my hand in front of my face. I love that picture. The light is all around, even if it seems like it's darkness. Amen? Can I have everybody stand?